0: extras. The whole thing. Oops. We'll even read an article or two before we venture down the path of stars and artists it's left in its wake. Jason and Chris, well, we've been watching and guessing on about films since before you had your first iPod touch. And this one is more experience than film. An entertainment machine, a cross-promotional cultural juggernaut that still devours all in its path. Tip to tail, it lasts two hours, but the effect... Well, ain't no podcast big enough to tackle it, but this one here, full cost and crew. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get when you have a trained thespian
1: on the podcast. That was something else. As you may have guessed from Chris's intro, we're here today to do. Oh man. Scared? A little bit. We're doing Jaws. It's Memorial Day weekend, and you are going to get your butts to a seashore, and you're going to look out in the ocean, and you're going to think, let's kick off the summer with a refreshing dip. Well, death lies (laughs) out there. (laughs) (laughs) We're joined today by... Frank DiRuggiero. You might think that it's Frank DiRuggiero. Yes.
2: That's the way I was brought up to pronounce it, actually. And then in, like, third grade, somebody pointed out to me that that's not how it's spelled. And I, and I, <laughs> I, couldn't, I, couldn't, defend, I couldn't defend it. It's just the way that everybody says it in my family. It's G-G-I-E-R-O. Yeah. There's no Rio. Yeah. There are plenty of people who read it, and they just know to say DiRuggiero. So I think there's some pretense. For, I always said Di Yeah. That's how I was introduced. And that's how
1: I introduced myself. Let me read Frank's intro, and then we'll talk about why he's so excited. Frank DiRuggiero, or Frank DiRuggiero, is a New York City-based stand-up comic whose lone career endgame has been to get on a podcast to talk about Jaws. Now that he's done it, he'll be retiring to the Scottish fishing village of Pit and Weem to build ships and bottles and sell them to tourists at reasonable prices. Now, the reason that Frank is so excited about Jaws, Chris,
2: he has a fucking Jaws tattoo. This is my f- wow. It's my favorite movie of all time, yeah. And I'm not a tattoo guy by any means, but I was like, if I get one, it'll either be this or it will be a Springsteen tattoo. A tattoo of Springsteen or like a reference? What I thought to do was when he was on Broadway to go over and see if I could get him to like autograph my arm. Mm. And this is a thing people do. This isn't, there's, yeah, yeah. there's precedent Yeah, I know, this. but I don't think you want to do that, Frank. Yeah, no, and that's why I decided against it. And yeah. Jaws no, but I'm saying
1: you could have done like, you know, Wrap my arms around your engines. Sure, you could well, have done something
2: th- referential. That's the thing I would
1: have. That would have been the time right?
2: it took me to decide which particular thing I would would have wanted to get. It would have been moved. well. I what do you mean?
1: Like you went well, tattoo within five still seconds I, of having the idea? No, I, you, know, you I put just put mean I, there's through.
2: a lot of Bruce Springsteen lyric. When you went Jaws, odd choice. You went for the shark. I mean, so many <laughs> other, so many other things you could have went. Well, for. it's not just the. Sh- it's a particular. It's the. It's a replica of the the. You know, in the, the black, board. Yes. Yeah, so it's that. That's I thought it was, great. I felt like it was subtle enough and I, I didn't want anything like big and blocky it tattoos. It does look like dude. You, it was just drawn on. Yeah, yeah, well, I just, I brought in the picture and the guy literally, he just doodled it and then traced it on. And I imagine it. Yeah. it also saves a lot of time in the dating
1: scene. People are either into it or they're definitely not. Yeah, and yeah. you're going to find that out pretty quickly once yeah, the you know, Jaws yes. tattoo gets unveiled. For
2: sure. Yeah. And you might find a soulmate. When I go on dates with women and Jaws comes up, what I typically am told is that's their dad's favorite movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Kiss of death. Well, I don't know. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Freud is your dating
1: counselor. Then you're, like, I, you're on the I'm track. I'm actually now thinking this through. Let's just say a hypothetical female calls her dad and is describing Frank. And she says, you know, dad, your favorite movie is Jaws. He actually has a Jaws tattoo. Now, most dads hearing that a suitor has a tattoo are going to immediately have a sinking feeling.
2: Yeah. So far, the tattoo's been met with all good vibes and good reviews. And You're I was probably, very. It is a great I, tattoo. Yeah, I it's asked a good every tattoo. person like, that I made eye contact with for three weeks before, you think this is okay? They were like, yeah, go for it.
1: Frank is a former colleague of ours. Yeah. And maybe again in the future, although I heard now you're working at a fencing, Yeah. what do you call
2: it? Uh, a fencing it, gym, a club. Fencing. It's a fencing gym, it's, it's, is it a club, is it a studio? It is the Tim dojo? Morehouse Fencing Club, I'm sure he'll be okay with me plugging it. Sure. My Boston Morehouse, Olympic silver medalist from 2008. Wow. And he opened up a place where uh, kids come and fence. There's an adult program too, but it's mostly like kids. Are you a fencer yourself? No, I was, I was just severely unemployed for a while, and I found it on Craigslist, believe it or not. And then I was like, well, let's give it a whirl. And now I'm the manager. This that's sounds great. like this yeah. sounds
1: like the kind of job that you get where you're sort of like, ah, that's crazy. But then it's probably like its
2: own weird family. Yeah, um, right. All the coaches are cool. There's this guy, Carlos. He was the coach of the national team of Spain. And he's one of the dudes they hired to train Antonio Banderas for Zorro. Ooh. Which is pretty cool. Do you know Nick Braven? I do not know Nick Braven. No.
1: Nick Braven, Olympic fencer. Four-time US national champion. Three-time NCAA national champion. And... Chin chin. Yeah, and two-time olympian when was he in the olympics yeah. you ask 1992 and 1996 oh, okay barcelona atlanta shout out nick braven this is the way how we're you building an nick audience braven. how, did you, how <laughs> did you land on him nick and i have children the same age and we know each other from school and this is the way i build an audience for the podcast is i individually reference one specific person every episode <laughs> and four million episodes down the road we'll have a big audience so, Frank, you're here because we were talking about having a few guests on, and we are talking about movies to do. And I think I mentioned to a couple of our other colleagues, Jaws, and then immediately, of course, you should have Frank on. He has a Jaws tattoo. That's how it was described to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: I didn't go any it farther doesn't than funny. that. I know if he knows what he's talking about. I've never seen it. I just thought, that th- <laughs> I thought it was a cool tattoo. I said, and if he's and, got uh, a
1: jaw, I mean, we, this is probably <laughs> the only time... Will ever have someone on the
2: podcast who has a tattoo based on the movie we're talking about? I had. I have a Jaws shirt on as well. And, and he is wearing a shirt. Jaws shirt. I had the shirt before I got the tattoo, and now every time I, I put the shirt on, I'm like, is it too much? Please. Yeah. Jaws,
1: 1975. It is Spielberg's second feature. Duel yeah. was made for TV. Then Sugarland Express. Sugarland Express was a real feature film, and then came Jaws. Due to everything is connected in the movies. It's weird how this happens. Sid Sheinberg, the guy who, quote unquote, discovered Steven Spielberg, yep. even though he's the first to disabuse you of that notion, or I should say was.
0: Yes, that's Rest right, because after, after oh, yeah, we just slagged just him like off two weeks ago. Yeah. on the Brazil podcast, Sid Sheinberg is the villain of uh, Terry Gilliam's well, story. if,
1: oh, if sure. you take Terry Gilliam uh, that's what I mean. from that Brazil episode, I came away with more understanding for Sid. Of course, he has the legendarily horrible takes. On Back to the Future. Back to the Future. (laughs) And Brazil. And Brazil, for that matter. And in a classic bit of Hollywood producer shit, casts his own (laughs) wife in Jaws, which I didn't know until watching the extra material. Yeah. Lorraine Gary. Lorraine Gary. Mrs. Captain Brody. Yes. Do you think Lorraine Gary quits herself well in the role? I think
0: she did all right. Chris? I think she I think she did you think fantastic. She did? Really? I think yeah. it's the combination of the two of them, and I think there is something that is so loose and free and real about that relationship, which is one of the things, the emotional truth, that is what makes this movie amazing. She's very good with him. They and do. when she has to like,
2: like, he's dead, he's dead, and then you see she's sort of, Acting it up. She's putting him on the boat and she just runs away with, like, you know, with yeah. her hand over yeah. her forehead. But
0: Listen, uh, that's how people used to do. Yeah. In that's real how you life. In the that's 70s. How, that's, that's how just,
1: uh, 70s moms showed concern. <laughs>
0: yeah. We had completely evolved past the melodramas of the late 19th century.
1: Okay. So you're talking Jaws. There's the movie. There's the making of story, which is storied and great. There's the legacy, which I don't know if you're such a Jaws guy that you're going to try to defend Jaws 2, 3, 4, 3D, all that kind of stuff. No, I don't know. Oh, no, no, no.
2: no. <laughs> Canon, this is it, it (laughs) ends here. Is that true? Four, I haven't seen in like, I watched that at like two in the morning, Mm -hmm. you know, in college. Jaws is its own thing. How do they do Jaws? I've never seen Jaws 2. So the, the shark is blown up. So is it another shark? Jaws 2, I think is... Nobody's in it, right? No, Shire, but are you and Mayor Vaughn is in it, too. Oh,
0: but no, no Dreyfus. No Dreyfus is in, like, a scene. Around the election, there was a meme going around. It's like, the mayor in Jaws is still the mayor in Jaws too, which, <laughs> which demonstrates the importance of voting. He does have an excellent suit. Yeah. I did look online to see if that was available. There's a bad knockoff
1: work.
2: Like, like a Halloween costume one? Yeah, no, it's it's too
1: preppied. Doesn't mm-hmm. have that 70s it's bureaucrat It doesn't bank. have the 70s look, yes. Yeah. And also
2: that cut of the those cut? sort of high yeah. shoulders, and yeah. Okay, so, I don't know, where do you want to start with Jaws, Frank? It's your movie. It's your podcast. Why is this your favorite I mean, it's just a, a perfect movie. I don't think there's anything that could be improved upon. Mm. The first time I watched it, I remember I was a kid. I went to my cousin's house in Brooklyn, and their dad had, like, this set up in the basement, and I watched it on laser disc. And all we would do is we would watch it up to the scene where the head pops out of the boat, and mm. we'd freak mm. out, and then we'd yeah. keep watching that scene. And over and over. And then it'd be time for dinner. But then, then one day I actually sat there and watched the whole thing. Uh, and I was like, oh, this, this movie fucking We're me. having kind like, oh, of. Better. Can, you, can you swear on, on here? Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah.
1: Well, it's <laughs> interesting that that scene was filmed in Verna, uh, what's the editor's oh, no, name? I'm Verna breaking. Fields. Verna yeah. Fields pool. Filled with, like, they added milk milk to make it cloudy. Yep. And they were well into the editing of the film. They were over the nightmare years trying to film the bulk of the movie. Mm -hmm. And there was some other shock that, that the room was getting in the edit. And Spielberg says, I got greedy. I wanted one more. Right. And he had the guy bring the boat and sink it in her pool and they went underwater and had the head made and got that shot which is pretty is iconically pretty amazing to just have it's the idea in
0: the edit that's Bernard, genius. Do genius mind are you really attached to that pool
2: yeah there's no way they didn't ruin the pool yeah
0: because yeah, they, they
2: did all of the dreyfus underwater stuff i think in her pool the shark cage stuff i think was also in her pool for the part where it's like him in it and then the sharks thrashing on it they got like a little guy and a, slight, a sort yeah, of yeah but that wasn't in her shark. pool that was not in australia that was in Australia. Oh, okay.
1: That was a fame.
0: Because they had to have
1: an yeah. actual shark. And, 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 <laughs> and those scenes are amazing. Yeah. There was a husband, wife, underwater photography team, and they had been hired to go to Australia. And I don't remember whose idea it was. Do you remember, Chris? Someone someone had the idea of, how about putting a midget in the cage? I was gonna was Richard Zanuck. I uh, Zanuck. Zanuck. Uh, he, that sounds like an, an old a-
2: Hollywood <laughs> producer idea. I came up with the idea, it was kind of a joke at first. I said, well, get a midget and put him in a small cage. That'll make the shark look bigger. Can't get a kid.
1: And those shots are amazing. There's only one or two of them, I think, because the, the Dreyfus stuff is its own
0: thing that he did do. He was in the cage, but not with a real shark. The fascinating coda to that story was the fact that they, it ended up being a rewrite to the script because the shark destroyed, destroyed the, cage. the cage. It's a pretty great description. person's like, got to ask, like, was the guy down there? Did he? <laughs> and, you He's know, it's like, it's like, I mean, that's a terrible tragedy. Subject, did like, he get the shot? Did he get hurt or did yeah. we get the shot? And it turns out he was not down there. So to justify his no longer being in the cage, they rewrote it. That Hooper escapes from the cage and goes down, which I, th- I thought was brilliant. I just yeah. think works that much better because there's already enough death. Let's watch a clip. Oh, do you know the muffin, man? Do you know the
3: muffin man? It.
0: Come on,
1: So Frank said before that it's a perfect movie when you watch a clip like that it, the the mastery of the language of film that Spielberg has a command of making this movie Jesus. is astounding. Like <laughs> the little the scene we just watched there's a cutaway to the youngest child of Chief Brody mm-hmm. who is mimicking that get out of the water that Brody is yelling. That's such a Spielbergian touch, and that
2: rack focus to Brody's face. Yeah, shot. he took that from Vertigo. It's an old yeah. Hitchcock thing that he did.
1: It's not a rack focus. I don't know what it's called. The Vertigo show. What's it or called? No, no. It's <laughs> real. You're, you're, you're dollying a in
0: and in a pulling pulley. out, or you're pull, or you're pushing in and dollying out. But the ironic thing about that is a lot of the contemporary reviews, which were not uniformly, but I found a lot that were very negative. And one of the things that they would talk about was. It's lack of understanding of humanity, something which I am sort of gobsmacked at, because I think what does make this such a nothing is ever really perfect, but as close to perfect as it comes, right. is that you do have the humanity that all of the characters, even the small supporting characters, bring to it. Brody's feeling of responsibility, the fear, the fact that his kid is imitating him because the, you know this is the example that's being set, and it just sort of it's it amazes it's me what a kid would do there. That. He doesn't yeah. know
2: what's going on.
1: So that dolly zoom or reverse tracking shot. There's an article that says said, that explains the shot, and it and the first paragraph is: you probably arrived at this page after pressing pause on Vertigo or Jaws or Raging Bull or Poltergeist or Goodfellas or The Wire, <laughs> because the, all this camera trick is <laughs> famously used there. there. There's also in the crowd shots. There's so much Spielberg stuff about he gets this rap all the time as like too cheesy, too sentimental. Yeah, but sure. But I think a lot of the crowd stuff shows Spielberg's secretly darkly cynical worldview. People generally aren't motivated by the right stuff, yeah. and oh. all. All of his movies always have, like, that one person who is. There's the guy right
2: before this who knocks a raft of children yes. over to get yeah. out of the water.
1: <laughs> trample them. They're yeah. climbing over them. Like that's and there's that that's one lady Spielberg who's just too. screaming and yeah. holding
2: her.
0: Yeah. It's- Although, you know, I would say that it's not so much cynical, it's just observational. Well, it's not a documentary. He's purposefully setting it up so that their behavior is shown to be self-centered. Self-centered in the sense of not realizing Brody knows that there's this potential. He has this right. fear, and everybody else looks that much more grotesque because they they don't know. Yes, of course, when the, the shark well, you comes you trample up. a kid in a To get out of the ocean, it's still a a failing of human spirit. It's fear in the moment. You're saying it's it's
1: okay to trample kids to save yourself. I'm encouraging it. No, I, I just think he is a master of moving the camera. Like, mm-hmm. I, I watched this in a new appreciation because it is, for all intents and purposes, his first studio picture. Well, it's just, it's very calculated chaos. And he's he, not he, using all the Spielberg stuff. Mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. pretty there, rudimentarily there's, there's some, assembled. There's there's flashes of it. But he's not relying on it here. Yeah, no. He's simply relying on how he moves the camera, how he films the actors, and, of course, famously, the great fuck-up. Of The filming of the movie turns out to be the whole secret reason that the movie actually works, right. which is the shark doesn't play and they got to figure out how to do it without showing the shark. Right. The first time you see the shark is almost an hour into the movie. <laughs> it's, and like, it's not including the
0: chalkboard. Thing Not bed, including Frank the chalkboard on Frank's tattooed on arm,
1: but I think it shows you how preternaturally talented Steven Spielberg was. An interesting thing is a two act movie,
2: which I read, I think, in the book Jaws Log. Yes, what's the Jaws Log? Carl Gottlieb, who wrote the script, because like his diary of when they were making it. It's oh, that's it's awesome. He it's, plays it's the well. newspaper editor. Yeah, he's he also in it.
1: Probably one of the best. Making of books I've ever read. Uh huh. Because Carl Gottlieb has a very dry, cynical kind of tone, even about himself. He added levity to Jaws, which is something that Spielberg specifically hired him to do. Right, sure. Peter Benchley, the author of the book Jaws, the movie was supposed to be released like right at the crescendo of the book's success. Mm -hmm. But luckily, the book was such a bestseller that it stayed on. I think every household, our house certainly had that. Thick, waterlogged copy of
2: Jaws <laughs> lying around, uh-huh. right? I got it from a my, uh, or whatever it uh, my <laughs> middle school library for a book report that I wrote to my memory of the movie because I didn't Thank read God. the book and I got busted. In the book, Richard Dreyfus sleeps with Brody's wife, and then and then Mayor Vaughn is like tied to mo- the mob. Yeah, and, and Quint's like there's no like Indianapolis stuff. All and that, that stuff is it's in there.
0: But it's just very
2: subtle. (laughs) Very subtle. subtle. Why do you think Hooper brings two bottles of wine when he goes over to Bernie's house?
1: (laughs) Peter Benchley, incidentally, is visible in the movie. He plays the TV reporter in one scene. Yes. And apparently he didn't have
0: too much of an issue with what was being done to his book. No, in fact, it seemed to me that he was all for it. What I had read was that he had been commissioned by Doubleday to write the book. You know, he did it and it was a lot longer. I had all these subplots that he was perfectly happy to get rid of for the big paycheck of doing the screenplay. (laughs) But then when they started bringing on other writers, according to his widow, Peter Benchley was like, "Take it, <laughs> please, make this I'll better." Say, I gotta send me the check. Like he had done three drafts, and you know, screenplay writing is different than journalism is different than writing a book. Everything yeah. you need to know about how bad Jaws two probably is is represented on the poster, in which.
1: A woman in a bikini is water skiing, and the shark is coming up behind her. That's the one for Jaws 2?
0: Yes. I do know that Jaws 3 takes place at, like, a water park. It's at SeaWorld. It's literally SeaWorld. Oh, is there? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean, like, the shark is captive and, like, breaks out of its pen or something? It's,
2: no, it's, or it's they, killing they catch a shark, and then the shark's mom shows up to break out of SeaWorld. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a very <laughs> family-oriented the, franchise, because I think uh, Jaws 2, it's well, like,
2: Jaws' mate. The main character in it is a grown-up version of the Brody kid right. in this, and it's Dennis Quaid. Director. Dennis Quaid. Really? Dennis Quaid, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the director of Jaws 3 is uh, the guy who was the production designer on this one. Yeah, Jaws 3. I mean, and it was made for, th- it was Jaws 3D. So right. oh. when, you, when you watch it on. It's probably on one of the th- first 3D big movies, no? Probably. When you watch I mean, it on TV, though, you What the TV, hell though, you can,
1: Jaws 2 Was 75?
2: Obviously can't do that. So you just no, watch what's very obviously supposed to be a 3D shot of a shark coming
0: toward the screen. Yeah. But it's just like, just like oh, wouldn't this <laughs> <it's> be awesome <laughs> if it weren't 3D? Yeah. <laughs> And then Jaws 4 famously has Michael Caine in the lead. That's I'm Michael. That Caine. movie's wild. And he also said,
2: he's like. <laughs> he says, I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen the house that it bought me. <laughs> what's the Michael Caine movie? Is it The Hand? The that, Hand? What's the one where he's tortured by his own
1: hand that's come back to life? What? Whoa! It's severed or it's just. Yeah, it's his own severed hand. That's Am wild. I making that up? This is an Oliver Stone movie. What? No. no, it can't be. Okay, first of all, Chris, how have you not seen this? I haven't even heard of it. It's called The Hand? It's called The Hand, 1981, directed by Oliver Stone. Michael Caine plays John Lansdale, a comic book artist who loses his hand, which in turn takes on a murderous life of its own. You're fucking with it. Uh, This is a Chris movie. I can't believe you haven't seen this, Chris. I haven't
0: even heard of it. This
1: looks... This looks awesome,
0: this, right? If you guys, Bruce
2: McGill is in it. If you guys do the hand, can I come back on for the, <laughs> for the hand?
0: <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll come here Chris is going to watch this tonight. I the, the, did have
0: a similar pitch this that sounds, I was working on. This sounds to me like, like a movie that is going to be impossible to find. It has no brain, but it can think. <laughs> it has no soul, but it can live forever. It strikes okay. without warning. Okay, well, here we go. Got you right here. Okay, we're Jaws,
1: but we're going to stop down to play the official trailer of 1981's The Hand, because The Hand.
2: You think I've done something wrong, don't you? Terror he could not forget.
1: You think there's something in there,
3: don't you? Torment he could not bear. <laughs> Truth he would not face. Hey! Orion Pictures presents Michael Caine in the Hand. Look out! How does it feel? Like they still there. My fingers. I've been moving.
1: It's kind of got a little monkey shines to it. Except instead of the monkey, it's his own hand. It's his own hand. Yeah. But yeah. it's a similar uh, yeah. similar conceit.
3: <laughs> a man trapped in a nightmare. <coughs> locked in the grasp of
0: man. <laughs> Is this the trailer or is this the whole film? Well, it's a, a two-hour d- trailer.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was a weird thing.
0: <laughs> too long. It's more like, I think I've got it's, it all. I can't
2: believe it's an Oliver Stone movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's usually so restrained. That was... Was it before or after He's Platoon? Usually, what year was He's it Platoon? So
2: restrained.
0: <laughs> Platoon
1: was nineteen eighty-six.
2: Okay, eighty-six. So this was
1: eighty-one. Yeah. I think he probably did Salvador either after. Salvador was just before. Salvador was before
0: eighty-six. Both of them are listed as eighty-six, but in oh, IMDb, it's that's a great comes movie. earlier. Salvador, then Platoon, then Wall Street, in eighty-seven. And then we're off to the races. When you see that
1: Orion Pictures logo, Uh you might as well just get the cocaine on the plate. (laughs) (laughs) Like when I see that... (laughs) You're back in the 80s. Reagan is president. Everyone's on coke. And we're living in an era of these angst movies where our murderous inner impulses are acted upon through some agent while we remain somehow good people. yeah.
0: It's all about coke. Wow, that's a great theory. It's the coke theory. I just invented that. Well, like I said, it's like with monkey shines. Like all of the aggression and the animalistic tendencies are farmed out to the helper monkey. Monkey shines about a helper monkey. I've not seen And then when you kill
1: the helper, you're killing a part of yourself. yourself, But you are still the monster that spawned the monster. So, Michael Kane can put his hand back on, he can cut it off, I don't know whatever he does, <laughs> but he's still the guy who had the
2: hand problem. <laughs> Should we meet Quint? Oh, yes, let's. This is the source of Frank's tattoo. And then the second tattoo is gonna be of the hand.
3: You all know me. You know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. Not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy carts. This sharp swallow you whole. Shaking, tenderizing, down you go. And we gotta do it quick. I don't bring back the tourists, that'll put all your businesses on a pay-in basis. But it's not gonna be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than three thousand bucks, Chief. I'll find him for three, but I'll catch him. And kill him for 10.
1: I didn't do the nails on the chalkboard part, Chris, but you put that part in if you want to hear that. I I don't know know if anyone wants to hear that. No, no. However, the nails on the chalkboard part is probably the greatest character introduction in the history of movies. This whole thing. That slow push in to Robert Shaw. First of all, nobody acts and
2: eats as great as Robert Shaw in this movie. His chewing is perfectly timed with the lines. And that, the salt, that was definitely all him. He just was having a saltine, and then they, yeah. they, they wanted a start. He's like, well, I'm going to finish my yeah. cracker. <laughs> it's crazy he didn't get an Oscar. He didn't even get nominated. He wasn't. I thought he was at least nominated. No. Do you think it's a, be- it's he a would surprise? Have been supporting so he, support. he would have been supporting jack
1: warden in shampoo <laughs> chris sarandon in dog day afternoon okay burgess meredith the day of the locust okay i've just named three movies you've heard of but you don't know anything about any of those performances brad Dourif, one Flew of the cuckoo's nest great okay admittedly and the winner george burns for the sunshine boys that how do you not nominate robert shaw best supporting that's criminal. insane and the only reason i can think of Although I guess it's not, I was going to say it was maybe the first time director thing like happened to Bradley Cooper,
0: you know, like we, but Robert Shaw was fucking Robert Shaw. Yeah, Maybe he just deal. pissed
1: off too many people with too many drunken antics over the years. Cause yeah. this is that late career be. Robert Shaw and he definitely sounds like a character.
0: Yeah. So well, it's also the, the movie was looked at like, you know, the reviews were not, yeah. you know, I think people saw it as a schlocky, yeah. uh, lesser thing. Uh, sorry. That's yeah, true. Yeah,
2: he's acting so well that it doesn't really seem like he's doing anything. Like he, That's how good he is. It just <laughs> sounds true. like he just showed up and started saying stuff. Here's some old salt so they found. Go, yeah, this the one of the most <laughs> <they don't> understand <laughs> people that think how, how good he
1: actually this. is. I love that when they finally go back to Quint to make the deal, part of the deal is one case of apricot <laughs> brandy. <laughs>
0: and you buy me lunch. He's like, two cases of brandy. No and, lunch. And no lunch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh God, Robert fucking Shaw. There's a scene when they're on the boat and Robert Shaw has the big reel out his reel ticks over one or two talks. Oh, yeah. Robert Shaw just gives a, like one eye looks at the reel. That is film acting. To know yeah. that that is going to play. You're also talking about an era. You don't have video assist. You don't have the ability mm-hmm. to go look at what you just did on a monitor. So there's no way to know whether it played or not, except from looking through the fucking camera. But just to instinct to cast that one eye right. at the reel And the the genius of the staging of Spielberg is this moment where someone knows what's happening and the other people don't in the scene. What is a movie? It's the creation of tension and the release of tension. Well, here's the creation. I'm seeing something that's happening. My reel just made two subtle ticks.
2: The other two guys on the boat don't know what's going on. He starts slowly getting ready. And the timing of when he puts the reel out of focus. And when I was watching it last night, I was really enjoying you start to pick up different things. I mean, you Every have. I, yeah, yes. yeah, well, you know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> me, yeah. Just the dynamic of who's the guy who knows what's up, like when they're on the boat and Brody is sort of like emasculated when they're comparing scars, yes. or like when he pulls the thing and the things topple over and then Dreyfus yells at him, yes. and then Quint's just like, next time just ask me, I'll tell you what to do, yeah. and, and Scheider just looks like a kid who fucked up. It's what
1: infuses the scenes of the scars and the Indianapolis speech with such feeling. Hooper and Quint have battled for so long, right? and then in that drunken scar moment and in the Indianapolis speech, they're together- and in the brilliant cutaway to Scheider lifting up, showing his real appendicitis scar, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he's on the outs of that scene. And the two guys who kind of know what's going on in terms of ocean stuff. Yes. Are together. I guess you're right. I think at the time the movie came out, it's just regarded as a
2: schlocky shark movie. But everybody's so freaking good in it.
0: It lifts it. It above lifts that. it so far I, above but that.
2: I don't know how it. You don't recognize that immediately. Like this seems like, was there
1: everyone, like
0: it. Yeah, I guess that's true. But like, if true. you had a monster movie before, it's pretty fucking corny. You know, this is also seventy-five. We're not too far into new Hollywood. You and know, he's a part of that. He doesn't well, get the credit me. for that. Exactly. His, who are his buds? So they the all acting the guys. style changed as yeah. well. So I think there might also be a part of it of people not expecting a certain kind of acting and a certain kind of hero and heroism. Yeah. And the kind of human feeling, which we're all responding to. I think people are just like, just from reading the reviews, it has no place here. Or... We expect it to be shown in a more operatic or melodramatic way, and times do change, and you look at the same thing very differently if you. If this is know, how you were brought up. It could not have sustained that
2: frenzy the way it did if it was just about the shark. It
1: played think, for over a year. Even, even theaters, subconsciously,
2: people that. were aware that this a was year. an actual good movie.
1: <laughs> I don't think anyone had the shit scared out of them in the way
0: they did in the movie theater when this movie came out before. The, the closest thing that would have gotten that reaction that I've heard about would have been Psycho. True, and the thing about Psycho, which I was reading True. relatively recently, that it actually changed the way people watched movies. In those, well, that was years. when they started doing this, watching behind their hands, which is <laughs> now so much Psycho. more effective. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and then you know you can, only, you can still charge them for the whole movie, even though they only actually <laughs> saw half of it. Wait, when watch what well, and what, did what way did it change? So you've seen movies and stuff about from the forties and stuff, and people would go and they'd have the newsreel and the short yeah. and the cartoon and stuff like that. And so people would come in and sort of go to the movies whenever they wouldn't worry about when the movie started uh. or ended. Alfred Hitchcock made a specific point, and this was part of the marketing campaign that Psycho had, he would record commercials saying, I have told theaters, you are not allowed to let anybody in after the picture started. And that created a attention, and, you know, You know, he's right to a certain extent, but he's also uh, a part of it was marketing. You know, there's another thing about Hitchcock, which Spielberg also shares like, yeah, they're showmen. You know, that's that's part of it. Spielberg tells the anecdote of attending a screening and I think it was the raft kill that we just saw
1: with the kid. Mm -hmm. Someone got up, ran past him and Spielberg goes, oh, shit, I got people are walking out. And the guy threw up on the carpet and he supposedly turned to Sid Sheinberg and said, we've got a hit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Full cast and Crew is brought to you by Two Different Guys on a Bench, a new comedy series from American Vandal star Ryan O'Flanagan. Two Different Guys on a Bench, where Ryan talks to... Ryan. On a Bench. We keep the comedy simple, folks. Two Different Guys on a Bench videos can be found now on Facebook at Chuckler Comedy. Like and follow Chuckler for the latest and greatest short-form comedy videos. Chuckler. Original comedy delivered daily.
1: What's great watching Spielberg talk about this movie, there isn't a bigger figure in Hollywood right now today than Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at his IMDb page, this guy has so many projects in production across every medium, on every streamer, so many major, major feature films, and has been doing it for 40, 50 years. But whenever they filmed the making of stuff, which doesn't look contemporary, looks like maybe, I don't know, in the 90s or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is still so into talking about Jaws, not in any full of himself way Mm -hmm. either. He's really talking with very humble craftsman pride over the experience of doing it. He's he's such a good pitchman. You can see being pitched by this guy. You'd be like, okay. he's like able to imbue the story with such stuff
0: in the room that you're kind of like, I'm all in, man. Um, it's movie magic It, it really is, yeah. is Well, speaking of magic though, I, And, you know, Frank is As the resident expert Now, you know, I read That the project did not begin With Steven Spielberg As the director That there was some other director Who, when talking about His concept for it Kept confusing whales and sharks <laughs> And so Peter Benchley was like I can't work with this guy hey, Dick no, think I, I, th- I don't know it but I think I've read it and I've forgotten it.
2: I've, you do think you've that, read it somewhere? I, know, I knew that. It's I remember Dick that Richards. anecdote now. Oh, It's Dick Richards. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's, I that's said the name said. just before. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I thought that was well, a joke. Not hey. a big
1: mystery, no. Dick Dick? <laughs> Dick Richard Richards? Dick Richards was famously in a meeting with Zanuck and David Brown, mm-hmm. and they said, okay, Dick, why don't you tell us your vision for the movie? So Dick Richards launches into a story where he goes, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to open up and there's going to be someone swimming, and then the whale is going to come out of the water and attack the swimmer, and that's going to pull us right in, right away. And Brown and Zanuck are like, uh, you mean the shark? And Dick Richards is like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and it wasn't that he said whale, it was that he said, yeah, whatever. Right. That's how they tell the story. If he had just answered that correction a little better, they probably would have kept him, but because yeah. he was like, that doesn't matter, <laughs> it's a DJ. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> The other great little Spielberg touches. So on that scene that we watched, get out of the water scene, and his little son is saying, get out of the water. Right. Also, later, when Brody is getting drunk at the dinner table before Hooper comes in, the little kid is sitting at the table and is mimicking all of the different ways that Brody is putting his head in his hands. That's so fucking Spielberg.
2: That's yeah. a It's a great little and it's incredible business.
1: And the guy playing the killer shark video game, as we get ready to go out to sea, is another classic
2: yep. little spielberg moment i that shot of the <laughs> boat pulling out through the shark jaws that mm-hmm. are oh, hanging in yes
1: okay so to introduce our new sound effect this is this is still within the discussion of the movie i want you to add that in right now
2: colombo
3: cinematic universe ah oh, one more thing
1: because, as we all know, the F C A C C U. Did Volk I get it right? Cinematic universe. Cinematic, did I do a cinematic universe oh thing? Gosh. I did one. I did my first Absolutely, CU. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the Jumanji cinematic That's right, universe the the today. <laughs> I got someone, someone specifically wrote into the pod to say, I laughed out loud uh, when Chris <laughs> referenced the Jumanji cinematic universe, or actually Everybody you said, I so refuse to accept right. the Jumanji cinematic universe. Anyway, so I guess it's the CCU, yeah. the Columbo uh, cinematic uh. universe. Well, Steven Spielberg famously directed the very first episode of Columbo, although it's not the first episode that was filmed. It was released first. I see. It was the great murder by the book. That was 1971. And if you watch it, it is appreciably Spielbergian. You
2: ever see the episode of Night Gallery that he made? I have seen that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Which one was that? Tom Bosley was in it, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't remember the plot of it. I just remember watching it because I saw that he was the one who would direct. I mean, I, I like Night Gallery anyway, but yeah. I made a point of watching that one first.
1: Right. So the scars scene, as we talked about, is Hooper, Quint, Brody, on the boat, drunk.
3: Don't you worry about you. it, won't be permanent. Wanna see something permanent? Boom, boom, boom. Hey, (laughs) who? You wanna feel something permanent? Just put your hand underneath my cap. Just get a little lump. Nakanolan, St. Patty's Day, Boston. I got that beat. I got that beat. Some moray eel. Fit right through my wetsuit. Well, nope, no, listen, I don't know about that, but I entered an arm wrestling contest in Loki Bar in San Francisco. You see this? No, I can't extend that. You know why I got to the semi-final, celebrating my third wife's demise? Big Chinese fella, pull me right <laughs> off. Oh, yeah. A bull shark scraped me when I was taking samples. I got something That's the thresher. You see that, Chief? Thresher's tail. Thresher? It's a shark. You want to drink? Drink to your leg. I'll drink to
1: your leg. Okay, so <laughs> we drink <to> our legs. Scheider <laughs> <laughs> lifts up his shirt to look at his appendis,
2: appendix scar. I also. I have... thought he was just looking down his pants, but no, he has an appendix. So much of a
0: less of a man than these. <laughs> <laughs>
2: These guys. I've got an appendix scar as well. I got my appendix out. As, just to as, do this? As a Jaws, yeah. As a <laughs> Jaws. They were fine. They didn't need to take him out. <laughs> yeah, the doctor. He, Frank explained to I've the doctors. i modeled my whole life after stuff. In the, and, and,
0: you want us to leave it in? Yeah, yeah, I just want the scar. I don't want you to actually yeah. do the appendix. You, I mean, you could have done that at home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? But yeah, there's a great, uh, somebody telling this story about the first time they tried to film the USS Indianapolis scene The day from hell. And this, as we know, is a terrible shoot, but the worst day of the shoot because he was so friggin' drunk. Then the next day... They claim one take. However, when I watched it last
1: night, I think there are three takes in the final USS Indianapolis scene. The camera's in three different positions on Shaw. They say that Shaw asked Spielberg, since the scene calls for them to be drunk on the boat, do you mind if tomorrow... I do the scene drunk. And Spielberg <laughs> and Spielberg was like, okay. It's like the logic is songs, down. I think I they know. knew what they were dealing with, it. with at that yeah. point. Mm. They described one of the funny anecdotes is that, of course, when this film came out, Dreyfus was coming off his first film, The Education of Duddy Kravitz, which has been described as a Canadian... Um, what's the one with Dustin Hoffman in the swimming pool and the plastics? The Graduate. The Graduate. Yeah, it's like a Canadian James. The Graduate. And the reason he took Jaws... Spielberg was trying to get him and he kept saying no because he thought he was going to be a big movie star. And then he saw a cut of Education of Duddy Kravitz and was convinced that his career was over and he better take whatever job was next offered to him. Then the movie came out while they were filming and he was getting all these insane, incredible notices. And he's pretty succinct in telling on himself that he was full of himself, full of every sexual opportunity he could glom onto as a young movie star on a very small island. And Robert Shaw was not having it. Old school, real actor Robert Shaw was looking at this young whippersnapper and giving him the business and giving him a really hard time. And of course, Spielberg said, you know, that's supposed to be the relationship between the two characters. So Shaw just would relentlessly needle him. So the answer I was saying is there was one point where Shaw was standing around and had a glass of whiskey and said, oh, why do I drink so much? Dreyfus said, "Oh, I can help with that." And Shaw said, "Oh, really?" And Dreyfus said, "Yeah, give me the glass." He gave him the glass, and he threw the whiskey glass into the ocean. When they tell the anecdote, they said the cast members who knew what a serious drinker Shaw was literally gasped. Like, yeah. Oh, here it comes. I don't know if when did he did anything. Nothing bad. No, he didn't do anything. But then he he continued to relentlessly torment. I was about to Dreyfus.
0: say, like, you know, maybe <laughs> not <laughs> then. But, but yeah. that's but yeah, it works so well because
1: the way they're good. together in that scene, the warmth of them together is so palpable. So it's almost like they had that tension to to have the relationship they needed to have up to this point in the movie. Yeah. But when they're doing the scars, there's such there's appreciation and they're trying to one up each other. But it's kind of like they're in it together and yeah. they look
0: over at. I think a realization that, that they share something. They share something, and in yeah. some ways, that's what Brody. I hope, and Brody doesn't. You know, his sort of realization that that these are people <laughs> that he. You know. The um, other
2: uh, crazy thing about the Indianapolis monologue, there was a point when he was too drunk to do it. He's still when he's doing it, probably a little bit drunk, and that's impressive. Like he's, got, like, he's still probably pretty uh, soft. Right, if he was that bad yeah. the day before. They say
0: he came back the next day stone sober and did the whole thing in one take. That's just too good to be true. But whatever it is, the next day's stuff is cut together with, and somebody was saying, like, you can't you tell can't the tell. difference. I, like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that, that shot that we just saw, he
1: was drunk. I think you're right, Chris. I think that what they're talking about when they say that, I think that the scar comparison sequences, he seems drunk. Yeah. But the Indianapolis speech, he doesn't seem as drunk in the same way. So the Indianapolis speech scene is interesting because no one is quite sure who wrote it or where it came from in the retelling. If you listen to Carl Gottlieb, who I'm kind of inclined to believe just because of his narrative voice in the Jaws log up to this moment. Yeah. He doesn't take credit for it himself. He also doesn't give credit to the person who most often gives credit to himself for having written it, which is John Milius. Right. And Gottlieb now says over the years, Stephen has become very generous in not correcting John Milius when he says what his contributions were. And indeed, Milius is credited. That's literally his credit in the Chiron, <laughs> which, knowing what we know of the business, that smacks of John Milius requesting specifically to be credited oh, yeah. as. Contributor, USS
0: Indianapolis speech scene. Some people say Robert Shaw had a lot to do with it. One of the things that I read was that um, uh, Howard Sackler, who was the guy who wrote Great Red Hope, that he was the first one to introduce the Indianapolis, and then John Milius says he did the whole thing. And then I read, yes, that Robert Shaw took, what. John Millius wrote in 10 pages and boiled it down to four. Yes. Reading about Robert Shaw, yes, quite a talented man. Definitely. Uh, a novelist and playwright in his own right.
1: I don't think Sackler introduced the concept of the Indianapolis, but he did introduce the concept of you must explain why he has this biblical vengeance against sharks. Mm-hmm. He knew that you needed to have something that motivated Quint that way. It's said that, to your point earlier, Chris, about Spielberg being part of the you know new Hollywood, that Francis Ford Coppola, Scorsese, Milius, Brian De Palma all took shots at the speech. Don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. It is credited that Milius contributed the Indianapolis story. Linking Howard Sackler's, we gotta have an engine for Quint, and Milius saying, what about the Indianapolis? Probably is true. It sounds very John Milius to submit an eight-page <laughs> speech. The reason I feel like Shaw cut it down to what we see, it has such a rhythm. It doesn't feel chopped or edited. It doesn't feel like it was assembled in the edit room. And there are only three cuts away from Shaw during this speech. It's probably one of the greatest monologues in the history of cinema. Come at me.
2: I don't think too many people are going to come at you. For I don't know. <laughs> we'll come at you for all kinds no, of, that's of shit, it. Frank. Come on,
0: do it. <laughs> at forecastingcrewpod Group Hot at gmail.com.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian Delady and just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. 1,100 men went into the water. The vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know you know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What well, we didn't know. was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. That's the first cut.
1: Camera's in a little closer.
3: They didn't even list as overdue for a week. Very first light, chief, sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo. And the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that sharky looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. That's
1: only the second cut.
3: You know, by the end of that first dawn, lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand, I don't know how many men they average six an hour. Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player, bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. I reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water, just like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon, the fifth day, Mr. Hooper, Lockheed Ventura So He swung in low and he saw us. He a young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway. He saw us and he come in low and three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and starts to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So, oh, 1,100 men went in the war. Three hundred and sixteen men come out. The sharks took the rest. June the 29th, 1945. Anyway. We delivered the bomb.
1: It's yeah. incredible. It's really it's an incredible else.
3: piece of
2: film acting. Yes. I'll never put a life jacket on again. That's such a great little th- line. The way he's delivering it is not like heavy-handed. It nope. just like sounds like he's talking about a little girlfriend. There's such a lack of ego yeah. in the scene for Shaw and for Richard Dreyfuss, who has to do sort of the
1: thankless bit. Both of them really have to do the thankless bit of listening to that. Mm-hmm. But with all of the animosity between Hooper and Quint... When you see Dreyfus in the background of those long monologues, he's got to be in the moment with Shaw and be amazed by what he's saying and drop all that antagonism, which he does just by the way he's sitting and looking at him. That's one of the great monologues in movies. Yeah. Roy Scheider says in the
2: making of Right. That he's the one who added the doll's eyes bit? Have you heard that before? I mean, I definitely watched that thing on the DVD at some point. I don't remember. Yeah. It. yeah. But uh, he said, that was my contribution. I don't know if he's kidding.
1: <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs>
2: the the story about how he got cast in it is
1: really funny, how he met Spielberg yes. at a party. Yeah. And Spielberg was having trouble. He was having trouble. He says that Scheider came up to him and said, what's the matter? He was feeling he was standing all by himself, staring into his drink, like lamenting the fact that he couldn't cast this movie. And he spilled his guts to Scheider. And, and then Scheider then brilliantly said, what about me? I'm an actor. <laughs> and it actually worked. We do have this little anecdote here if you want to play it. I thought the way the story was told in this thing is pretty funny.
0: Police Chief had to be the audience. I just needed somebody vulnerable that the audience could hang their hats on and say, I'm with you. You know, if if you show fear, that I'm going to really feel fear. And uh, I was at a party one day, and at Andrea Eastman's house, and I was sitting there, and somebody walked over to me, and introduced himself to me, and said, "You're sitting here all alone. Are you okay?" And it was Roy Scheider, and I just began pouring my heart out to this complete stranger, who I certainly knew from the French Connection, but um, I was really preoccupied with this problem, not being able to cast a. Uh, you know, Chief Brody, and I told him the whole story. I even told him the five or six actors I had talked to that I decided that I didn't want to go with. And Roy looked at me and he said, "What about me? I'm an actor. I'd love to be in Jaws." And that's how Roy and I came to do it together.
2: I'd love great? to be in Jaws. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about me? I'm an actor. Yeah. Oh my God, Chris, come on! I want you to hit the streets and start telling everyone you're an actor and you would love to do the Jaws. I was about-
0: <laughs> I mean, Terrence Malik has got to be around here somewhere. Somebody, right? yeah. looking for a shoulder to cry. Even on. Even Spielberg, fucking telling that story. I like. I want to see the movie. And that also—that sounds so Roy. Scheider. I freaking. I love Roy Scheider, and so great. I love him partially because every great role that he has done, he's been also ran or second choice. Yep. Yeah. You know this. He was, as we just heard, he, you know, fifth choice. The fifth, yeah, at only yeah. only available at the end. I mean. You know, um, I saw. all that jazz, Richard Dreyfuss was cast and sort of like with this, I guess this is Roy Scheider is always not the first choice. And Richard Dreyfuss always complains about the movie <laughs> before it opens because he dropped out of he dropped out because he's like, I think this is going to be crap. And so, too, like there's, they played in that Making Up yes. DVD, that famous interview where he was he shit on the movie, s- he shit on the movie before it came out. And then has to come crawling back. And then the, but the third and this is my favorite. If you like Roy Scheider at all. The film Sorcerer. Oh, I've seen w- Sorcerer. Yeah, w- yeah. And freakins, you know, the, another storied flop that was that I that is fantastic. But Roy Scheider was again, you know, way down on the list. This <laughs> was like a compromise. Also ran, and he is so good. He brings the same like world weariness that he doesn't project. That is just he, it hangs ironically loosely on him. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's it's his just face brings it's his face. Yeah, and it brings depth to whatever he does. There's a movie uh, Naked Lunch. Yeah. The
2: Crony William Burroughs. And, and Scheider just sort of pops up at the end out of nowhere. <laughs> and he's so good for like 10 minutes. And then the movie yeah, Dr. Benway. Yeah, yeah. Benway! <laughs> is, that, is that when he, like, he pulls off
1: a, a thing and he's got a serious... <laughs> really God, good. you know what's a great late career Scheider? And I think we've mentioned this before. So I'm a big fan of The Rainmaker based on the Grisham book. It's actually a really good movie. Matt Damon, Danny DeVito, Claire Danes. Roy Scheider plays the sort of evil incarnate insurance company owner. And he wears this weird roll-necked sweater top. Eye combo on the stand while he's testifying, he exudes this real evil. It's a great movie. It's a great Mickey Rourke cameo mm-hmm. in later pre-wrestler Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke rules. The uh, Rainmakers are a great movie and Scheider is a really good and essential part of it. Once you get the French Connection staircase shooting scene, even though that's not Roy Scheider. No, I could. Yeah, but that would be a cool, like that would be a cool tattoo to have on the other inside. I was we'll on. Wait. I was online behind a guy.
2: <laughs> I'll at, get it now. The, get uh, it. Uh, all right, fine. <laughs> Sorry, the company card. I'll go get. I'll go get the, go get the <laughs> tattoo. Uh, I was online behind a guy on a water slide once, whose entire back was uh, Nicholson coming through the door in The Shining. Oh the my ent- god! His entire Are you serious, back. yeah.
0: Holy yeah, yeah, yeah. Magoli. And I was like, that's a tough choice. You know, this is why I think your tattoo is great. That's what when I meant, this were talking about, subtle, I think. Uh, that guy yeah, had to be subtle. in some kind of death metal band or something. You never a, I mean, want he, another actual person. On your like, body? On your body, like a fictional character, like <laughs> Tweety Bird or something, like that's well, fine. Jack, Jack Torrance. But, but Jack, but that's still Jack Nicholson. I don't want yeah, Jack so Torrance, you yeah. know. Yeah. And he looks like a regular, he looks like some
2: somebody's dad. I was, well, my I was friend um, him the whole
1: time, and I didn't, you know. My friend Buck sent me a thing the other day. There's a drum set for sale. The shells of the drum set are the carpet pattern from The Shining. Uh-huh. Oh, that was And rules. the awesome. drum and the bass drum cover is the black and white bar shot. Uh, with all the debutantes yeah. and socialites and Nicholson in the front, and it's like Shining drum kit. Now, I don't know if you guys play music, but like this, the, the vibe of like playing music together with other human beings is one of connection and warmth and joy. Sitting down to my Shining, you know, drum set yeah. is not going to infuse me with well, they, that, that this spirit. Is for
0: somebody who's doing like a Kraftwerk <laughs> cover band, perfect for that. Nice Kraftwerk reference, Chris. Thanks. I've been um, waiting all afternoon.
1: <laughs> okay, so. Let's do alternative casting. Yes. Yes, let's. Put that one back. Nine days before shooting, no Quint, no Hooper. Nine days. Charlton Heston for Chief Brody was one thing. And Spielberg says, you know... It was like getting 12 cylinders in a car when I only needed eight. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. That's the so the, the great shark line. wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> like, <laughs> get your <laughs> fins off me, yeah. you damn dirty shark. Charlton Heston would have stabbed it to death. It's <laughs> like, I get, I, I think he also says something like, Heston had saved planet Earth. He had been Moses. He was like, it's... <sighs>
0: yeah, no... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a, a little rest. too big. It's just a different kind of scale. Is Heston the one who was
1: who was? Uh, oh no, it was Lee Marvin. That was Lee Marvin was the first Quince. choice for Quint. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, for was was Quint. Quint. Sorry, for Quint. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, 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 right. But he was actually
2: deep sea fishing for real sharks in he was Florida. On vacation. And he didn't and want to get on vacation. <laughs> I, yeah, you know. There's a version of this movie that could have been made with Charlton Heston and Lee Marvin, and it, w- it wouldn't have been like this, no. but I would watch it. I would watch sure. it, too. It would be very over the top. <laughs> <laughs> Who's chewing more scenery? Was, yeah, it was like, oh, there was a shark in that? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then and then in that version, Hooper would have been like Albert Brooks or something. Yeah. <laughs> I love that
1: Marvin <laughs> well, is like, he's on vacation. I would watch,
0: actually, I, would, I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. Albert
1: Brooks as Hooper? Yeah.
0: Well, the one uh, alternative casting that I saw that they mentioned in the behind the scenes was for Hooper. They were thinking of Jan Michael Vincent. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> which is a very, because in the book, it's apparently much more, I think he's described a as more like ocean blonde, yeah. athletic type. Yeah. And which I, also reminds me, you know, the second time the, the graduate gets... Uh, I don't know if you know, with The Graduate, that's, I think, also based on a book. The studio wanted a Robert Redford type. Yes. Instead of yeah. Dustin Hoffman? Instead of Dustin Hoffman, yeah. they wanted something that, apparently, this is sort of... Yeah, uh, why would you
1: want Dustin Hoffman if you're a studio there? It's like, you don't get it <laughs> then. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. obvious then. Who had, did Nichols have
2: to fight for Dustin Hoffman, or did they just end up with Dustin Hoffman? I don't know if it was a, a huge fight. I mean, it happened, so <laughs> he must have won. Also, uh, the uh, one of the dads in The Graduate, Mayor Vaughn. Yeah. Miss, yes, was that's Mr. right. Robbins Mayor Vaughn. That's right. Murray Hamilton. Murray Hamilton yes, is great. As he, goes by. he is great. I mean, we yeah. are an <laughs> island community, Chief
1: Rooney, and if we don't have people swimming, then
2: barracuda. we don't it's, have. A- if they had a shirt
0: like this that had you yell "Barracuda," people et go, cetera, "What's that?" Et cetera. Yeah. Would, uh, that's the one I would have bought. You know, that's another one. He was he was uh, picked out by one of the negative reviewers talking about Who, Murray. Yeah, we're not are you talking. Just saying that, like the the Mark? cynicism of him not wanting to close the beach and encouraging the people to go into the ocean, literally saying like, "Why don't you go swimming?" Yeah, uh, was sort of so cartoonishly like evil and cynical, according to this reviewer, which again I also disagreed with, especially because that scene where he is regretting, yes, like that to me seemed it's much a poignant more scene. Interesting, it's very yeah. poignant. Yeah, because he's broken. Know, yeah.
1: He is totally broken. He can't even utter the words. Yeah. yeah. Like, Scheider is, like, actually sort of, like, helping him, and he's just, like, mumbling, I, I didn't They're in him. the hospital, and he's, a, and he's
2: okay. he's smoking right. a cigarette. He's smoking a cigarette <laughs> in the That's my favorite thing to see in any movie that takes place. Ah, uh,
1: back know.
0: in the 70s, when he could yeah. smoke in the plane yeah. and in the
1: emergency room.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 but you can't, not in the coroner's office, not with Hooper. Not with Hooper. Um, Mark. <laughs>
1: Robert Duvall, Spielberg offered him Chief Brody, but Duvall wanted to play Quint. Huh, I mean, Duvall fine. probably could have acquitted himself as, as Brody, I, I think. I think so. But what we heard Spielberg say, Brody has to be us. Yeah. Brody has to be the people who kind of don't really know what's going on either, but are figuring it out as they go. That's kind of the genius of the way the movie unfolds is that he's an off-islander. He's not one of them. Right. And because of that, he's us, right? And he's kind of like trying to figure out this is the right thing to do, right? Like, why aren't you all with me on what the most obvious right thing to do is? Because they all have these entrenched interests. Yeah, I guess Spielberg offered Robert Duvall the role of Brody, but he only wanted to play Quint, which makes me think that that speech must have been in something. Because if you're an actor and
2: you see that freaking speech, you're like, that's "Ah, that's my role, please. Wasn't the thing that golly broke? like they were like writing it up until like, up they, until the they shot it. Yes. But I mean, even without that, there's still a lot of good stuff to At do least. with your clips. Exactly. Yeah. The chalkboard speech is its so own. good. Man. Before I forget, I'm so glad I remembered this. There's a, a movie theater in uh, Williamsburg called Nighthawk. It's like yeah. a, sort of like an animal draft house type place. They, they showed Jaws once. Actually, this was pointed out to me by uh, Nick McKinnon, our old pal. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the website, whatever the page where you would buy tickets for this screening of Jaws has, a plot description of Jaws that is so incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Spielberg's Glorious Jaws is the film that defined the blockbuster and has made generations of moviegoers terrified of going in the water. So far, so good. Yeah. When a giant great white sharks <laughs> swims into the town of into the town of Amityville. <laughs> During the 4th of July holiday and begins munching on vacationers, it sets off a battle on both land and in the sea. The first half half of Jaws is the struggle of New Yorker Sheriff Brody is get the mayor on board with the idea that a man-eating shark is cause enough to close the beach. The second half is an adventurous boat trip with Brody, marine biologist, city hands Hopper... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and salty fisherman chalkboard Quint as they battle the shark. <laughs> on its own surf. That is amazing. In between, you get a lot of intensely scary moments. Trust us, you'll never forget the first time you see that sh- shark pop out of the water on the big screen. I'll never forget yes. the first time I heard that description. <laughs> like, Some intern like, <laughs> uploaded the I've wrong i tweeted this a couple of times, just tried to get tried it to, to get go it out viral, because I, I feel like there's no way, if I put this, That's people amazing. aren't gonna think it's as bizarre as I, and we now do. Hopefully this <laughs> is the catalyst for getting I think getting this, this will, will be the catalyst. catalyst. The fact that they write chalkboard quint is as, chalkboard is, as, as <laughs> if it's a nickname that <laughs> he was ever referred to by. Good old chalkboard. Spielberg
1: wanted Sterling Hayden to play Quint. He didn't want Robert Shaw at first. He he well, his, he
2: idolized Sterling Hayden. Yeah. So Shaw's perfect. But if anybody else could have done this, he, he would. As done far a good as job. Mo- iconic movie drunks go, Sterling Hayden in, in <laughs> *The Long Goodbye*. That's yeah. That's par and parcel with this. Sterling Hayden couldn't do it because
0: he had tax problems. Yeah, this whole casting process of Quint is uh, an indictment of Hollywood (laughs) leading men. (laughs) Lee Marvin, forget it. I I don't want to cut short my vacation. Robert Duvall. I want more lines. <laughs> and then Sterling Hayden. Sorry, I don't want to pay my taxes. Well, look, that's a very cynical
1: reading. I mean, I <laughs> when I when I heard the story, I thought Lee Marvin had always been in Hollywood a do it his way kind of guy. Um, however, I gave Lee Marvin credit for saying. Look, I, I'm on vacation. I'm yeah. fishing. I, I'm not going to come back to do movie fishing when I'm doing real fishing. Yeah. Like, I, I respect that. Yeah. Because otherwise you never have a life. Well, thing, yes, I mean, where it's like it's a job and you don't. It's a job, know, job and I'm I, off the job I, I right do now. I do struggle with life
0: balance. Why would I want to leave real fishing to do movie fishing? because you never know when that next job's gonna come up <laughs> not to go off on don't too much ever say no <laughs> don't ever stop working
2: <laughs> at that point though lee marvin was already pretty yes. secure last bit
1: of alternative casting for the role of hooper i think you mm-hmm. know this one john voigt was mentioned was timothy bottoms joel gray <laughs> okay that why i can't on, see why not can joel g- gray g- do anything <laughs> joel gray i don't get, i don't get joel gray <laughs> As Hooper. All right. I guess they're thinking like bespectacled intelligentsia or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is that what sure. it was? That makes that makes get sense. Give me a pair of glasses that can deliver lines. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want headshots from every, every actor in Hollywood who plays glasses. glasses. Well,
1: they got black eyes,
2: doll's eyes. <laughs> 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 and dry, Copyright, Roy Scheider.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Copyright. Right. Well, you know, Cabaret was a big hit. Didn't they try and get Jeff Bridges too? Yeah, man. Well, you want to go fishing, <laughs> man? Cool <It's>, with me. <laughs> full casting crew is brought to you by out of jack's mind a new comedy short video series from jack Plotnick, co-writer and director of the sony pictures feature film space station 76 and current recurring guest on grace and frankie and C nation out of jack's mind like and follow at chuckler comedy on facebook or chuckler.com chuckler original comedy delivered daily
1: Let's move on just briefly to talk about the score. Can you name another movie score where two notes is all you need? I don't think there is one. No, I mean, I mean the closest. The the closest um, is probably
0: another John Williams score. Well, I was going like to say like Halloween, like all of those John Carpenter. Just, but that's also because they're synth and like they're so stripped down. This is something else, and this well, is.
1: Could you tell Star Wars from
2: the opening crescendo before the theme? No.
1: I think I could if it was. You know what I mean?
2: I would get it from <laughs> that. That's that's all I would need is Star Wars. Wait, so you're talking which about the, which <laughs> part again? The, right at the beginning, the, where the Dun, serie, da, after the long time ago galaxy. Da, yeah, but it's first is that but there's like a buildup to it. The fanfare. Yeah. The bah,
1: but that's one note. That's what I'm saying. Couldn't you tell that was the Star Wars theme yeah, from that yeah. one note, yeah. maybe? Oh, I think we're agreeing. We're agreeing, with we're, each we're agreeing other. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. We're agreeing just in different languages. The sting is pretty succinct.
1: But even that, you need to go through three to four notes. I mean, if you just hear dun everyone in the world knows what that means. Two notes. Or sure. at the very least, they you know it's And that's shark. another thing. Like, when they talk about it, Spielberg says, you know, he went over to John Williams' house, and John Williams is playing him that theme, just those notes. And Spielberg's like, that's funny. Yeah. What, okay. So what, what, are you, yeah, what, did, you, what did you write? Like, I'm paying you money. I could do two notes myself on a freaking piano. Yeah. No, 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 Stephen. It's going to play. You know, Frank, you mentioned seeing the movie so many times and appreciating it. This time, I was full Robert Shaw. Just like, I got so enraptured and went down the Robert Shaw wormhole. But then I also really listened to Williams' score. Outside the famous theme. Yeah, that's oh, great. His incidental music is really good and doesn't get a lot of credit. Like, I, I, I don't know if this is my own sort of bad thought or opinion or if this is what conventional wisdom is. I feel like even though the guy has created probably the most iconic film themes of all time, he gets regarded as kind of a hack somehow or like not. That can't be. Is that right? I don't know. Like not, he doesn't get, he doesn't get credibility per se outside like, he can create a popular theme. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't have the gravitas of a Hans Zimmer, even though that's probably bullshit since 15 other guys write the music that Hans Zimmer puts his name on, but we'll get it. That's a topic <laughs> for another day. But you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, going Hans going Zimmer down, is regarded Zimmer. as a genius, like a musical genius, and he writes important music. I don't think John Williams is considered to write important music. He's considered to write populist themes, mm-hmm.
2: but- Watching this movie and listening to the incidental music in places is really impressive. And where they're pulling out that same shot through the window and and the teeth, that's sort of like, boop, 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 boop. It's like, it's good Mm -hmm. seafaring music. Mm -hmm. Seafaring music, yep. No, I mean, God, John Williams is in a category unto himself. I mean, there's
1: not even anybody in second place uh, as far as themes go. I think that's the thing. I think of Mm -hmm. him as a guy who writes unforgettable themes, of which this is one. The combination of the music and the camera, the absence of the shark. And we didn't really talk about all the things that were going wrong, but famously, right. a guy made, I think, three or five sharks. One faces right, one faces left, and those were both hollow on the back. There was another one, and none of them ever really worked. And they had to improvise. They were budgeted to shoot 55 days in Martha's Vineyard. They shot 157 days total. I mean, that's wild. The budget was originally $4 million, which is a hell of a lot of money in 1975, and it swelled to $14 million. Credit to Zanuck and Brown for sticking with it. One thing that no one says, for almost anybody else, this plug is getting pulled. Yeah. I mean, it has to be that Sid Sheinberg was in such a position of authority and power at Universal. Spielberg was his boy. And he must have protected him from that. Any of us sitting here getting these reports, you would simply pull the plug, stop down and figure it out. The shark's not playing. Hold up. Let's not spend money every day. Let's figure this out. But you can't get the actors back. So you talk yourself into just we'll figure it out as we go. So they were supposed to be on Martha's Vineyard from May 1st to June 30th. They actually left in September. Well, $14 million in 1975, it's probably got to be a 40 or $50 million movie yeah. today, which they didn't make them in those days that way. Yeah. But I guess in the dailies, they saw that they were getting it. It's so hard to say, because like you're saying, you have to see this movie to understand this whole genre of movie in a way. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't exist before, so I guess... To give credit, as you said, maybe to Brown and Zanuck, that
0: they were able to see that they were getting something that was going to be incredible. Well, look, and not to uh, switch seats as far as cynicism goes, you know, one of the things about this movie and about the book, they had a huge marketing campaign that they were rolling out. They had bought the rights of the book, you know, before it was actually published. They saw the future of marketing intellectual property. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that, might, that might have been part of it. Of course, they must have. You mean had, like with the release? Like, like the, with the release of the book. And they're like, this is going to be a big Yeah. Thing, because here is a popular book that we can capitalize on. We're selling these t-shirts, stuff that is common today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this, they planned on a 450 screen yeah. rollout. You know, they had all of these plans. Like you said, they must have had some inkling that things were working well enough. But they also had the thing of like, you know, we're banking a lot on this. Mm-hmm. So they were probably watching it very closely. They had balls. Yeah. They because rolled they had the balls. fucking Absolutely. dice. Absolutely.
1: This is why I think you got to give Sid Sheinberg more credit than someone like Terry Gilliam will give him. Think about being Sid Sheinberg in this situation with this director, with this movie. Your budget is swelling from $4 million to $14 million, 55 days to 157 days. Then to still say, we're going to go 440 theaters. We're going to do all these things that have never been done before. T-shirts, yeah. shark dolls, the whole nine yards. It's impressive. I mean, its I don't think they do it like that anymore. I don't think anyone other than Zanuck and Brown and Sheinberg probably thought that was going
2: to pay off. It yeah. must have been nice that it, it made itself apparent that it would... Pretty Much right away, right? There was no like part where it was, it was floundering, and then no, then it, it just like you mean after the release, once it, the yeah. Wait, the day it, day it came out, it was yeah.
1: good. Did you read the thing about how the original idea to introduce the character of Quint was to have him in a local movie yeah. theater watching Moby Dick starring it's Gregory Peck?
0: yeah, it was probably that Dick Richards idea. <laughs> no, this was Spielberg's <laughs> no, idea,
2: <laughs> Dick Richards,
0: <laughs> everything with the friggin' whale. Uh, there was but like, so. yeah, but Gregory Peck would not release the rights. I guess he had
1: the rights to the, the movie, yeah. Wow, I talk th- about an early good actor deal. <laughs> How did he do that in 1956? Was it because he didn't like the way he was in it? He said he didn't like his performance in Moby Dick, and yeah, he didn't what, want to see I, the film again. Yeah, oh, that's,
2: so, that's he probably, so he probably so he bought it probably yeah, out oh, oh, <laughs> of maybe <it successfully. laughs> maybe out of insecurity. That's fine. Oh, that's great. God, I, wasn't there also another <laughs> thing actors. that was cut? Shaw, he's in a music shop, and there's a kid playing like the clarinet, and Shaw's like up in his face. <laughs> I didn't read that. Bah, bah, like doing the really? scales with him. Yeah, that's. I think that's. Wait, is it or Yeah, it's
0: on you. I've seen it before. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Come on! Are you sure they that was like for the film, or that was just Robert Shaw? Yeah, he's got the hat on. On the way, he's 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 on the way to set. Robert's. Are you sure you've seen
1: this, Frank? I I have a very vivid. uh, He's right. Yeah. Jaws deleted scene. I can't believe this is real. Hello, Mr. Quinks.
3: How are you, Katie? Looking well. Thank you. Four spools of piano wire, number twelve. Sure. What do those fish do? Eat that stuff? Well, they choke on it. -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Hey, do you mind? I'm practicing.
1: Okay, you can see why they cut it. I mean, it doesn't yeah. play, and well, that's are so you obviously it plays well, it's just like, that's I, just, We already
0: I, I, I know it <laughs> we already know Quint is an asshole. Like, there is no. <laughs> well, I don't know when that was supposed
2: to. I don't know if that was supposed to be his first scene or uh, <laughs> just like someplace in the middle. God, I didn't know
1: that. And the kid is obviously the Spielberg stand-in. Oh wow! Right. Oh, my gosh. The nebbishy kid forced to practice his clarinet. (laughs) It's so weird to see a deleted scene from
2: a classic movie like that. (laughs) It always freaks me out, and I kind of wish I hadn't seen that, Frank. I'm sorry. Listen, I'll go. Now I know that it exists.
0: You know what I mean? Now (laughs) the movie is imperfect. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to ever Google again
1: Jaws deleted scenes. Throw out that computer. I don't want to know anymore. It's never brought brought you happiness. happiness. Okay, I'm just trying to look through my notes here. Do we have anything else that we want to cover on Jaws, Frank? Nothing huge. I, I did read a fun
2: fact. Well, you specialize in fun, fun facts. facts. Capital Fs. After uh, the movie came out like years later, I don't remember where I read this. The woman who played Alex Kittner's mom. Who's yes. Like Brody. She goes into a restaurant and there's a, a sandwich on the menu called the Alex Kittner Sandwich the guy who owns the restaurant is the kid that played Alex Kittner. That's right. And they hadn't seen each other in like that's right. 30 years or something. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: yeah, she said, she told someone in the restaurant why is this called Alex Kittner? And they brought the actor out. Yeah. And he had a sandwich shop or something. I don't know if it was yes, on the island or somewhere. I don't do know. remember what it was. It's, that's but.
2: gotta be. I always, whenever there's a movie like this that's iconic, but some of the people that played those parts are not. I That guy's just walking around someplace. Mm-hmm. I always think of like the kid who played Danny in The Shining. Yeah. He's going about his day and some, somebody at the grocery store is like is that? And he's like, oh,
1: "Yeah, fucking damn it, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Talk about being tough on the dating scene. Or
2: for it, or it's good. good. you for could be like kind of mate, though. I mean, for a special kind of lady. Yeah. I don't know. If that that might be a boon if you're like. It's probably a boon. You're like, oh, when I was a kid, I, I think I got, anything is a boon. The the that like, any, no, any,
1: no, any notoriety any is good. <laughs> um, all right, should we move on to headlines? Yes.
2: It's Monday night time for headlines. <laughs>
1: Oh, look, at Frank's, Frank's doing a, his own headlines theme. Matt, we're rolling with you. Don't worry. We're not throwing <laughs> you over. That was Jay Leno.
2: He came in and said it into that's the microphone. Right. It sounded just like him. That was Jay Leno. <laughs> headlines. Um, my first story is
1: about chickenpox. Oh, no. The Kentucky teen banned from a school for not getting vaccinated. He's an anti vaxer Oh, no. <laughs> he sued his school over being banned. He now has contracted chickenpox. Hubris. Right? Is that hubris? Yes, I think that's true. <laughs> sure. yeah, <laughs> I've never really hubris. been clear on what hubris is. He started showing symptoms last week. Uh, they have no regrets, however, about their decision to not be vaccinated. Well, you, gotta, like, you got to this is
0: nature's vaccine. You got to double
1: down at that. I point, didn't actually know this. <laughs> sure. I don't know if you knew this. Some ultra-conservative Catholics oppose chickenpox vaccinations because it was developed in the 1960s from cell lines of two aborted fetuses. Okay, here's a vaccine which can help millions of people not get a terrible disease, but we shouldn't do that. Yeah. Because the Bible says so, I guess.
0: In a roundabout way. Like <laughs> it's not even directly like that. It- and on the twelfth day, thou shalt get thy pox. Yeah, like the word stem cells does not come up in the Bible. That's or be a what tough says vaccine. One to, uh, or
1: if it does, it comes up very, very Briefly. My other story, I only have two headlines. This is in the feel-good department, guys. Mm, Okay? Because, you know, the world is not just about all the terrible and horrible things that go on. I know it Mm. can seem that way for both of you. What a Spielbergian way to couch bad headlines. This is a very Spielberg. This probably will be a Steven Spielberg movie. So in Boston, Massachusetts, there was a performance of the Handel? Handel? Handel. Like Billy Handel? Handel. More like (laughs) (laughs) DeRogerio. Handel and Hayden. Who's Hayden? Sterling Hayden? No. Hayden. Hayden. The composer. The composer. Haydn. Handel and Hayden. Handel and Haydn. They Sounds had a like great video list. Handel and Hayden? Oh, Heiden. see, now you don't know. No. I didn't. Well the Handel and Hayden Society Orchestra was concluding a concert, and on the final movement, this occurred. Child somewhere in the audience spontaneously reacted at the end of this oh, incredible orchestral performance, and the entire audience burst into applause. And now, of course, it's become a thing where everyone is blown away from the symphony. The CEO of the symphony said it's one of the most wonderful moments I've ever experienced in a concert hall. Please, if you're the parent of this child, email us. Let us know. They want to find this fan. Give him a copy of the recording. Invite them to meet the orchestra. Oh. And it's of course going viral. Wow, that's well, that that pretty, nice. pretty cool, I right? Like yeah. A lot. Pretty yeah. cool. Chris's heart is not warmed. Yeah, the kid
0: wow. ruined the country for everybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Chris would you, be the guy turning around in his seat. Like, excuse
2: I, like, me. Excuse you me. Mind. There is a descendo <laughs> that I am waiting to resolve. There was a guy when I went years ago to see The Lion King on Broadway who shushed my little sister when she was reacting <laughs> to something. A, gr- a, gro- a grown, grown man. King. You're yeah. a grown man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rants and raves? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any? Which? What is this part again? I might have I might've,
0: I might might have. zoned out for this part. When I was, I Ow, had, ouch. I was I working zoned from out home for listening this part. to you guys. Working from home? I thought you worked at a fencing studio. Yeah, you I, can't I, be I, I logged in. Stories falling apart. Cool. Are, Are you like my one my of those Japanese guys
2: who pretends to go to work for 40 years?
0: Yes. That's
2: exactly <laughs> <laughs> If a rant and rave is just me ranting and raving I mean, about something, in right, the Clue so episode, yeah. you were talking, uh, you got onto Carrie Fisher somehow, and you started rattling through her credits, and you... I was, I, I was. You were dissing trying to prove that she isn't in, in any, any more good movies in Star Wars, and you left out the well, Blues Brothers, well, and but, 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 the Burbs. Well, first of all, I didn't say she wasn't in any more good movies. What I
1: said was Carrie Fisher is most famous for an iconic performance early in her career as oh, yes, Princess Leia. And what I said was, although she's very good in several movies other than that, right, right. in most of those movies she's just playing herself, or she's playing her persona. Okay. That the public came to know. I think we specifically mentioned her being good in When Harry Met Sally, yeah. Blues Brothers.
2: No, no. I've that's the thing I was listening and I didn't hear Well, I Blues said that. Brothers. Chris cut it out. I uh, cut out Blues Brothers. Did you say too. Burbs? <laughs> sure. The Burbs? The Burbs. That's not a good movie. What? No. <laughs> okay. That's what Frank gets exercised about. Now now I have an actual <laughs> rant. <laughs> the Burbs is so good. The is Burbs. it really? I love The Burbs. That's one of my favorite movies. That's sweet. Yeah. That's it. That's Tom the, Hanks. That's the whole right. Tom Hanks, Bruce Dern. Corey Feldman, Joe Dante made it. Is that's Corey a- Feldman supposed to convince me that? No, it's I'm good? just, I'm just fit for completion's sake. Henry Gibson, that's a great uh, heavy. I like Henry Gibson. I yeah. like John Michael. Also Higgins. in the I like Michael brothers, McKean. Actually. Yeah, I like Jennifer Coolidge. Bob Balaban. This is not the Burbs. The Burbs,
1: TV movie. They made uh, 2002. No, you, no good. <laughs> okay, I mean, listen, if you love it, that's great, Frank. I mean, love what you love, man. <laughs> yes. I'm just, no, I'm just reading, the reading one off the IMDb. Talking about <laughs> Burbs with Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, yeah. The Burbs is good. Corey, poor Corey Feldman. Brother Theodore is in it. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm interested. There Brother Theodore also in Last Unicorn. Last Unicorn. Big Letterman fan. Am I? <laughs> Thus liking actor named of who we just said. Yeah, see, I, have to, I, have I to might be having that, a stroke. That's Whoa. the thing about <laughs> editing. I have to smooth out that syntax. Good It'll Lord. Be <laughs> crystal clear. Okay. I don't have. I have some rants. I have some rants, but they're just stupid. So if,
0: if you have any better ones, Chris. well, the only rave that I had was uh, I went to a museum. I did go to a museum, but I wasn't going to talk about that. Oh, uh, okay. Rod Serling. The creator of the Twilight Zone. Yes. I was yes, of been course. listening to interviews and stuff. I was listening to a speech that he gave at UCLA. This was in the wake of the midterm elections of '66, okay. when the Dems lost uh, 47 House seats, Republicans, and Ronald Reagan was elected governor. I only mention that context because he allowed it to inform his speeches. What was most interesting was the Q and A he did afterwards. He is obviously an intelligent and thoughtful and sensitive activist, and to hear him uh, doing the Q and A with the students, many of whom were sort of first. Left than he is Mm -hmm. And were almost hostile For him being kind of squishy on certain things What was great was his ability To say I don't know Right. And to stake out his point of view, but also be able to say, like, you guys, the younger generation, you know better. You're on the front line. You were doing so much. And and also today at a, at a time where the Democratic Party is somewhat fractured between its wings uh, was very interesting. He's just a great guy. I love him in general. But hearing that speech was, I thought, very so I, I heard
1: a part of that, too. And it's great when he says, uh, you students are going to enter
2: another space <laughs> of time, uh, another dimension.
1: And then they ended up and they were the only students alive on
2: the whole planet. And, they many, had and whole, he broke his glasses. How many cigarettes did he smoke? <laughs> oh, I'm guessing that at least like,
1: two packs. <laughs> I went down a little rabbit hole of watching classic Twilight Zones, and man, there's such great tight
2: spots of writing. Like yeah. they're half hours. There's a like, you think of them as an hour-long show. It's not. There was an episode uh, early on that Murray Hamilton was in. He played the Angel of Death. That's right. All right. Well, that will move us on to this week in TV guide.
1: Week, this yes. week, you're our victim. Okay. We've given you a stack
2: of TV guides to choose from. All right. Did you base your choice on cover? Yeah, John Ritter. I saw John Ritter, I was in. Uh, <laughs> okay, what <laughs> year are we guy. talking? 87, December. Okay, it's Thursday. You're it's home from school. What are you going to watch? My first selection. Somebody else, I didn't do this one. Somebody else circled The Money Pit, which <laughs> is... Uh, is that which another is, another Joe Dante film? An- Isn't uh, that pretty much just The Burbs? Is that Joe Dante? No, it's Tom Hanks, though, It's and it's a similar period of his career where he was doing these suburban comedies, but it's... A generous I- way to put them. Okay. <laughs> it's, well, one's literally <laughs> called the first. <burps. laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean comedies? Okay. I started at two. Uh- because that's when you told me to start. And of the things, feel free to get to the shows, Frank, <laughs> at any time. Well, the first thing uh, in the two to two thirty block, I picked Green Acres because I've got fond memories of Green Acres. Green yeah. Acres is the place for me. John Williams <laughs> score. <laughs> <laughs> now at two thirty, well, wait. Well, you, you got to give us some plot lines. Yeah, what's there's not nothing your, here. It just says Green Acres oh, comedy. I don't. Did we go over with Frank how this segment works? I thought you just wanted me to, to program whatever it is I'm doing once I get home. from right, school. assumed. I, I, assume, I yeah. assumed
1: because you had listened to at least one representative yeah, no, recent I, and episode. I've there heard that we
2: talk funny plot lines. Well, but this one doesn't have one of those. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll let nothing. Maybe you nothing at three o'clock. There. Maybe at let's, three o'clock. There's something. Maybe let I took this. I didn't. I didn't really <laughs> program this with. Uh, He's like, and I went to get a glass of milk. that, yeah. Then, then I, I would pee. I factored in all of my food and, uh, <laughs> and biological breaks. All right. What else did you get, Frank? What else were you watching? Green Acres ends at two thirty. Uh, airplane Two comes on. Wow. Which I think at two thirty in the afternoon. Two thirty in the afternoon on. Airplane Two, mm. Airplane Two, the sequel, which—ouch! Oh, under, was gonna say it's under, better than. The I'm course? gonna say no. I'm gonna say it's oh underrated. God. Oh, I was gonna. I and I think a gonna... large part of its bad rap is just because <laughs> it is compared to Airplane One, which is perfect, flawless. Airplane, airplane, airplane two. two has its good bits. And there's
1: there's that some good stuff. Bit. In their defense, they did call it Airplane Two. the a sequel. sequel. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, a winking nod. The important thing to know is my favorite guy. Steven Stucker. Yes. As long as he's in it, I am there. He is in it. He plays a court stenographer. That's this guy, Chris. Yes. Oh, yes. This guy. When he pulls the cord out and waggles it around (laughs) and looks at the... It is...
2: He has a kind of tragic story, and I think it would be a really good documentary subject. Genius. What's remarkable about him is, in that movie, everybody else is playing it stone straight, and that's what the comedy is. And he just shows up and is (laughs) funny on top of... So off his rocker. And he's just... It's it's bananas. Anyway. Oh, my... Okay, so Airplane 2 starts at 2.30 going the whole way with airplane 2. You're staying there well, 90 so here's minutes. The, no, here's the thing. It's 85 minutes. It starts at 2:30, it's going to end at uh 3. Okay. Uh what is it going to be 55? And so uh, commercial breaks. Full clock. Okay. Uh, if there's an episode of Scooby Doo I can flip through that starts at 3, so I'm going to do that. Plotline? So there's not a lot of plot lines in here. I don't know. Okay. Then, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so at 4 uh-huh. after that's after um after it has 3 ended. Uh, yeah. airplane 2 is over, there's an episode of Star Trek in which uh Kirk, William Shatner finds oh, yeah. the long-missing Dr. Corby still alive on a frigid planet, uh-huh. where Kirk becomes a guinea pig in Corby's mad experiment to create a <gasps> civilization of obedient androids. Oh, yeah. Corby is played by Michael Strong. That's great. So I'm watching that. You definitely watch that's that. That's an hour. That's that, so, that, yeah. that takes us to five. See, so here's the thing, though. Three Amigos also comes on at four, hmm. and that's going to create some conflict. So you're going movies. Interesting. There's a lot of so guest who's going movies. Just this particular one that I picked, there's yeah. a lot of good ones on me. Yeah. So, who's, who does this actually belong to? Oh my God, there's a Marlboro light ad on the back. Yeah. This it belongs to the podcast. I, actually, I could go for I just a bought a ad. box of 15. <laughs>
1: just from seeing that. I just bought a box of 15 <laughs> 1980s TV guides, of which that's one. That rules. Apparently, I got the ones without any log lines. <laughs> yeah. They're really. specified. <laughs> <are laughs> <not. laughs> once we got into mid eighty, once we got into 87, they stopped really giving you the detail.
2: Yeah. There are not that many log lines on here. There's a lot of descriptionless Scooby Doo. Okay. Anything uh, with a log line. Frank. Yes, sure. So, later on, we get to some log lines. It's Thursday night. Nigger does this. On NBC. Oh, you're talking primetime cheers. Oh, yeah. I believe so. Makes sense, sure. of course. 87. Reruns, a big, yeah. big, night of TV. Thursday nights. So, yeah. Must, must, see. must see TV. Of course. And Cosby's on here, too. And we're He's not been selected. Uh, but <laughs> he's, Never even heard of it. He's, he's, wouldn't watch it. Vanishing right before <laughs> my eyes. Uh, and then, five, this is just to add to the weird lineup of good movies that mm-hmm. were on this night. Better Off Dead comes on. Uh, and then, so six, all the movies are over. Three's Company's on. Again, no logline, I'm so sorry. But here, I'll read this logline for the facts of life that comes before it. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Garrett and the girls are interviewed by an alumna for a book on Eastland women. Is That's Eastland the whole story? That's the whole logline.
0: And then they and they say that Charlotte Ray plays Mrs. K. Oh, you know what? I bet some stuff <laughs> do came like, out. They, they would, I do love how they would remind you, yeah. like, Mrs. Garrett, still Charlotte Ray. I'm trying to remember if Charlotte
1: Ray was also an alumnus of the school and maybe some risque secrets came
0: out in her retelling. If oh, that's part of you know, the plot The
2: alumna is played by Judith Casmore, as it says here.
0: I don't know who that is. Any sitcom or show, like I never quite got the concept. Like I thought they just all lived together in the same house. I didn't realize it was like a school, like boy, didn't yeah, see anybody in yeah, class yeah, yeah. or anything like that. You thought they lived together in the same house? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, or they did, did but it was there school. was more to it than that. It was, yeah, it was yeah, Because it
1: was—they didn't just.
0: I wasn't. Yeah, did not roommates. Get that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, <laughs> 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 I Missed <laughs> that
1: part. So you <laughs> missed the whole intro section that clearly delineates that it's <laughs> I mean,
0: taking it, place it's, in a boarding it's, school. It's a
2: one old woman splitting rent with four. Yeah, what to, kind to of weird thing? Did. You do <laughs> was a just if They
0: take the good. They take the bad. They take about the the facts of life. What? There's no mention of school in that. <laughs> the
2: facts, facts wow. are facts. Oh, I you learn I mean, facts. It, uh, I guess it's you take the good, you
1: take the bad, you take them both, and, and there, there you have, have the facts—the facts of life. Yeah, That's yeah, where do yeah, you yeah, learn yeah, that? School. You gotta learn them somewhere. I learned it on the streets, <laughs> the mean streets of wherever it's New, New Jersey. New Jersey—it's so funny. You know, Chris, you don't seem like a New Jerseyite to me. Ever, it doesn't fit. What part?
0: Doesn't fit. No, of Jersey. what part of Jersey. From Burton County, from the suburbs of the city. Okay. Uh, I'm getting slap happy.
1: <laughs> Frank, take us yeah. home
2: here. Well, I mean, this is just this particular one. There's not a lot of log lines. But 730 is the is the episode of Cheers, and this is a classic episode of Cheers, where Diane asks the guys to include Frazier, Kelsey Grammer, uh, <laughs> on an outing a hunting trip. Uh, but yes. she's furious when they leave him in the woods hunting the ever-elusive Snipe. Diane is oh, the Snipe Hunt episode. Yeah, the Snipe S- Hunt. That. It's a Sorry,
0: spoiler for people who haven't been to summer camp yet.
2: Yeah. So it's weird because for they they write Diane, and then they write Frazier and they put Kelsey Grammer in parentheses, and then at the end they write Diane again, and then write Shelley Long, where they could have just put it in parentheses. What a weird format. Anyway, this hey. must be the same guy who wrote the Nighthawk Jaws. Yeah. Of summer, Maybe. Writing these Maybe. odd lines.
1: <laughs> Look, I think in 1987 getting a job writing... TV guide log lines, right? Which well, probably
2: yes, be a that's pretty a sweet hold job in the uh,
0: entertainment. Yeah, that's the
2: job that I would have if I was. You, alive. That would have been a that's, good job for you, and I would have been the best. That Cheers will take us from seven thirty to eight. Uh, at eight, there's two movies to choose from. One is called Passage to Marseille. Marse- uh, Marseille, Marseille, Marseille. Not <laughs> <Marseille, laughs> 19- even I know that. 1944. A top cast highlights this wartime tale of Devil's Island escapees endeavoring oh, to fight Papillon. for free France. It's uh, it's Humphrey Bogart. Hmm. and Michelle Morgan. Uh, and then... That's a maybe. Famed at the same Frenchman, time... Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> uh, Fire Creek. We 68, a- James Stewart, as a part-time sheriff defending his town against five killers, <laughs> one of whom is Henry Fonda. Ooh, that's
0: a good. And I that don't sounds- think I could
2: pass up on that.
0: Is that a Western? Yes. John yes. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But I love the idea of like part-time sheriff. It's, the, it's like if your town is menaced by five the, killers, the sheriff of Malibu. in a full-time sheriff. <laughs> sheriff? Well, let me get off my Marion hat and put on yeah, my sheriff hat. That's the thing. They probably just show up
2: without any warning. And then, they're, and then it's like, oh, this town's only got one sheriff. That, Let's all five it. of us
0: go. They And they probably cased the town and waited for his day off, waited till after lunch when he, he goes to his We getting our job.
2: asses kicked in these five sheriff towns. Yeah. We should go find one where uh, with it's just... With Part just time one sheriff? guy with a sunny disposition. Part-time sheriff's a good, uh, uh, like, noir comic book title. Yeah. I like that a lot. You know? And then, nine, we got another Cheers, and since this is December, this is a Christmas episode of Cheers. Gang's cheerless on Christmas Eve. Sam, Ted Danson, desperately <laughs> searches for a last-minute gift for Rebecca Kirstiali, who's making everyone work late, while Norm's Santa buddies gather to get trashed. Can't believe they wrote get trashed in a, in a Isn't that the whole point of Norm <laughs> and his buddies? <laughs> yes, I are? know, but like, what a who's what yeah, coming
1: down on them for that? That's not a journalistic
0: way to <laughs> no, I write isn't. that. <laughs> it's, a, it's just your, a
2: weird, too like, Christmas to put into, Christmas a, into a publication, and then...
0: Again, <laughs> you're getting close to the end of the issue, because I'm sure the person did the long line from the beginning. They're getting tired. They're like, listen,
1: that's the thing about writing for TV Guide, man. Just when you finish, there's a whole nother
0: week to come. Oh my gosh. And daytime, and Time guys. This is the job that Camus should have done. This and is a very this is existentialist.
2: So weird. After crediting Ted Danson and Kirstie Alley parenthetically, they throw in at the end that Tracy, who I don't know who that is, is played by Jane Modine, and then that Norm is played by George Wendt. Tracy must have been like shockboard walk in or something.
1: Hey, uh, yeah, yeah she's probably like yeah. alone in the city. Well, yeah, right? was- and they they take her in. That yeah, that sounds about
0: right. And she probably leads them in a Christmas Carol at the end with all the drunks. Well, guys.
1: I think we've covered all the bases. Well, thank you, Frank. We have a special way of closing, Frank. I didn't get to do my
0: math homework. All these things I was watching. Ah, You can do that that at dining hall. Let's do it in study hall. Jaws will probably never be matched in its far reaching reverberations, creating Steven Spielberg and the summer blockbuster, redefining suspense and the kinds of stories we tell, and birthing, fully formed, what has become today the standard practice of marketing as midwife. Synergistic, even if that word sounds dated, multi headed, coordinated birthing of a global cultural phenomenon from the sperm and egg of an idea and an audience. Makes you wonder how long it was after the manuscript of Peter Benchley's book was plopped down on an editor's desk that someone looked to Hollywood and thought, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.